Welcome to episode 14 of Advocacy in Court. Our topic is cross-examination, in particular, the addiction that is cross-examination. Good cross, the ones that you will remember, are like the best rides in a theme park, controlled, stomach-turning moments, intermeshed with wild delight, followed by a safe ending. But whilst in the theme park ride, you're just a rider among others. In the best cross, you will be in control of the speed, the angles, the parting of the veils, the quiet spaces, and best of all, the memories of the others taking part. You are, after all, trying to persuade them. As with your examination in chief, already done if you're a prosecutor or a plaintiff, or possibly to come later if you will call a defence clients or witness, you need in cross-examination to have with you a simple mind map of the topics that you'll be covering along with the order of them. As well, you need supplementary mind maps to cover any topic that has a lot of detail that won't fit on one page. You need a marker on which you can mark your progress on those mind maps and also note any parked issues to which you return. And, above all, you need a mental approach that allows you to measure the risk in real time, to take reasonable chances, and to have recovery skills, whatever answers you get. It's very important that you understand that necessarily cross anticipates parts of the closing. Because the questions that you ask in cross are inherently what you hope to be closing points. But here they're disguised as questions, not statements. By these questions, you are taking the target, the person you're cross-examining, and the audience, fact finders and others, on a journey. But you'll know that you've really got it when the effect of your questions is is that the fact-finders get to the result before you and the witness get there. When that happens, the fact-finders own the answer, their answer, and there's no better persuasion than that. In what follows, I assume that before getting up to cross-examination you have already considered, should I cross-examine at all? The answer to that question can often be no. But where the answer is yes, then you must have worked out quite carefully what the aims of your cross-examination are. What purpose do they serve in your aim to either win the case or minimise the loss to your client? 
whatever the topics that you've identified as being ones that you ought to follow in the interest of your case theory, the following guidelines have a general application. First, it pays to be nice as long as possible. Not only because that's good manners, but also because many target witnesses are not expecting you to be nice. They're expecting something else. The next thing is is that you should share with them and the fact-finders the agenda of topics that you're going to follow. There are some people who will say that this means you're giving up the element of surprise. I disagree. Sharing topics with people is merely telling them what routes you're going to follow. It's not saying what particular ammunition you have to make sure that you can thwart any opposition. Whenever possible, start from what seems to your target to be a safe place for them. You might recall a similar search for a neutral point in some tricky examination chief situations. You might recall we discussed the who has the green light problem and going back in time and space there was the best solution. So, in cross-examination, starting at a safe place from the target's point of view allows you begin to work them without them being aware of any need to be concerned. Never hurry. Take it slowly. If the witness has just given an answer and you start your next question before the fact finder has had time to absorb the effect of the question that you last asked and the answer to it, then you've wasted your time. That question and answer doesn't exist. It follows that silence, deliberate silence on your part, whether it's for just a fraction of a second or for some seconds, can be a very potent weapon as a cross-examiner. Not only because it gives those in the room time to think, but also because when your cross-examination is going well, the silence of itself is a stressor for the target. As it was in chief, so in cross-examination, the fuel for your next question is all to be found in the last answer of the target witness. Hence, you're taking in that content, their tone, the timing, and that's influencing the content, the tone, and the timing of your next question. Your target witnesses usually know very little, or at least too little, about your case theory and about their place within that case theory. As well as that, their views of cross-examination are likely influenced by what they've seen in television dramas. The result is that their assessment of how they're going in cross-examination is usually quite different to yours, and that doesn't matter. Much more important than what they think is 
the extent to which you're able to go into their scene with them. You must see, you must hear, and you must feel. Just as we discussed in the latter part of our discussion of examination in chief, by being in the scene with them, you will identify opportunities that the witness has missed or thinks that you will probably miss until they blurt out something about it. Here's a simple enough example. The accused is charged with misappropriation of funds. He calls as his main character witness a well-known and highly respected financier with whom he used to work as a trainer for people coming into the banking and finance industry. The character witness in chief has said what a good person the accused is. You now rise to cross-examine. In your cross-examination, you go back to a safe place, namely all those years ago when they used to train together. You have the target witness concede that they were both good trainers that they both understood all their materials, that they made sure that everybody that they were teaching acquired the skills and values that we needed in the industry. You then turn to each of the acts of wrongdoing by the accused that you have already led evidence about earlier in the case, and you put the particular acts one by one to the character witness and have him agree that those are the sorts of acts which their teaching was designed to prevent. A poorly thought through character witness for an accused can turn a possible acquittal into a certain conviction. I turn now to a tip that very few advocates know, and it's a very powerful one. From conducting a simple experiment many hundreds of times, we know that any witness, within the first 15 minutes of cross-examination, and generally much earlier in the cross, will tell a small lie in answer to a trivial question and then be upset that they have quite unnecessarily told a lie. Having told it and knowing that they've told it, they're then afraid, first, that you, the cross-examiner, will know that they've told a lie. And secondly, they're very afraid that they're going to tell another one, equally uncontrolled. Now, your knowledge of the fact that the witness will have told a small lie, even though you do not know when it was in the 15 minutes and what was the aspect of their evidence that was false, entails that you can stop your cross-examination... You can look seriously at the witness and then you can 
grin or give some other facial feature, the effect of which is to let them know that you know that they've erred. And so from that point on, they're worried about what you're going to do about it. The advantage of this in terms of technique is, is that the witness is now presenting two faces to the court. One is, hopefully, trying to answer questions truthfully. The other is their internal concern that they know that they can't. In the next episode, episode 15, we'll continue with our discussion of some techniques in cross, looking particularly at control, risk assessment, asking open questions, and asking questions to which you don't know the answer, but think you probably have to have it. Until then, goodbye for now.